You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the 107th weekly episode of the 50 Years Ago in Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Cole, and every week, right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, we take you a trip down memory lane back 50 years and we report on all the hockey news that was happening at that time, written in the words of some of the greatest sports writers of all time as well. And this week we are looking at November 8th to 14th, 1971. Now, if you like what we do here every week and every day on Twitter with our uh, 50 Years Ago on Hockey Twitter feed, uh, you can help us out by going to patreon.com slash hockey50years to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribers not only get early access to each week's free podcast, but we have some really neat stuff and special content that uh, allows us to delve more deeply into the issues that were prominent in the hockey world uh, at that time. Uh, our Patreon subscribers in the very next week or so are going to get another very in-depth update on the progress that the World Hockey Association was making at that time as it tried to establish itself as a rival major hockey league to the National Hockey League. So that's patreon.com slash hockey 50 years to subscribe. And don't forget our, our uh, sponsors from uh the area newspapers.com is the world's largest online newspaper archive they help us do our research and of course the breakwall brewing company in beautiful downtown port coburn ontario makers of the finest craft beers in southern ontario so after last week's big world hockey association announcement dominated the hockey news it was the established nhl's turn to make headlines this week and and that's just what they did there was also a lot of, I guess, what we can call these uh, days regular hockey news happening. So let's get to all the news, uh, the quick hits first, and then, of course, we'll dive uh, a little bit more uh, deeply into the more complex stories that took place this week. Uh, teams began the week by doing some serious tweaking to rosters. Not a lot of trading of players just in the early part of the week, but promotions and demotions were taking place. General managers were finding now as we were getting into the second month of the season, that uh, there were holes in some of the rosters, so they were trying to make some moves. Some uh, some of these uh, transactions were just to get prospects more ice time in the minors. Others were bookkeeping moves, and one or two were made just to keep minor league teams afloat one way or another. It was a very uh, chaotic time in the hockey world as uh, early 1970s and and we saw evidence of this all, all the way through uh, one of those uh, helping out a minor league team uh, was uh, the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs moved standby goalie Gordy McRae to the American Hockey League Providence Reds. Now McRae had tried out for the Leafs Tulsa farm team in training camp. He wasn't quite good enough, well, not quite ready actually for the professional game, but the Leafs management saw something in Gord's performance that they liked. So what they did, they wanted to keep him around. They had him playing for the Aurelia Terriers of the Ontario Hockey Association Senior A League. Uh, Bernie Prant and Jacques Plant, the Leafs incumbent netminders, both ran into injuries and illness in the last week or so. So they brought Gord to Toronto to sit on the bench as the backup while Prant and Plant took turns being unable to uh, dress for games. And uh, 
This week, both of them seem to be back ready to play, but the Leafs kept McRae uh, as a professional. They loaned him to the Reds of Rhode Island, who ran into goalkeeping, goalkeeping problems of their own. When the veteran netminder Marcel Paye had spent time in the NHL with the New York Rangers, Marcel broke a couple fingers, and so he went on the disabled list, and Gordon McRae had some work with the American Hockey League Providence Reds for a while at least anyway. One of the more uh, highly touted rookies of National Hockey League training camps this fall was a young fellow by the name of Gary Gambucci. Uh, you know the story, local boy makes good. He's a Minnesota native who made the North Stars, and he did have an outstanding training camp. But Gary faced an enormous problem in the Minnesota lineup. The Stars got off to an excellent start, uh, mainly because of the fine performance of a number of their veterans who just seemed to find new life in Minnesota and subsequently there just wasn't enough ice time for Gary to uh, develop properly. He did score a goal in his first NHL game but it was mostly downhill after that. This week Minnesota general manager Ren the Bird Blair dispatched Gambucci to AHL Cleveland where he is going to be kept very busy by Cleveland Barons coach and general manager John Muckler. Another North Stars note uh, before he moved on. Remember we told you they're off to a great start this season? This season, They jumped into first place in the NHL's Western Division just ahead of the Chicago Blackhawks as the week began. They accomplished this on the strength of a 5-1 to win over the St. Louis Blues. And that was a game in which veteran right winger Bob Nevin scored three goals. Now Nevin had been the subject of Boo Birds in Minnesota because he had a slow start uh but it wasn't really a slow start for Bob. Just a slow scoring start. Pucks weren't going in the net for him. But Bob was doing all the other things right, as he always had throughout his NHL career. And he was finally rewarded with the big game. And the North Stars were rewarded with first place. The Pittsburgh Penguins are another NHL team playing very well this season. Another Western Division team. General manager coach Red Kelly's team has undergone quite a metamorphosis on the blue line, especially as uh, Red dispatched a number of veterans out of the lineup down to the minors in favor of some very talented young defensemen. Gone are Jimmy Morrison, Dwayne Rupp, Dunk McCallum, and Bob Blackburn, all mostly, I think, in the American League. And in their places emerged youngsters Daryl Edestrand, Dave Burroughs, and first-year professional sensation Joe Norris. Pittsburgh has brought in so many young players in the organization that their American Hockey League uh, affiliate, uh, the Baltimore Clippers, well, actually Hershey was their affiliate, but they also had a kind of a gentleman's agreement with Baltimore. They had to cut a number of veterans to make room for some of the Pittsburgh kids, and among them were minor league legend Willie Marshall and another longtime fan favorite in the American Hockey League, Jimmy Bartlett. You'll remember back at this time, and if you weren't around, you don't remember, but you probably heard the NHL was taking great pains to try and eliminate all the hockey fights. Actually, they didn't want to get rid of the fights. They wanted to get rid of the bench-clearing brawls. People were starting to complain that the games were taking too long. And you know what wasted a lot of time? The silly dance that was the bench-clearing brawl. So they made rules to try and eliminate that particular style of fighting. But really, they liked having the fighting. And, and they always had the hockey fans who liked this kind of stuff. Said nobody really gets hurt in hockey fights. right? It's all just good fun for the benefit of the fans that don't have the mental capacity to appreciate the finer points of hockey, right? Well, that ain't always true, the part about no one getting hurt, that is. The Bruins defenseman Don Ory engaged in a wrestling match in a game with the Montreal Canadiens this week uh, with their young right ringer Phil Roberto. And during the tussle, Ory went to the ice in a rather awkward manner. And he had to leave the game with an ankle injury. Now, it was believed that it was just an ankle sprain, but x-rays revealed that the joint was actually very badly busted and now the Bruins are going to be without the hard rock Ori on their blue line for an indefinite period. Oh yeah, 
They lost the game against Montreal as well. The big bad Bruins against the skillful Canadians get in a fight. They still lose the game right in Boston Garden. But you know, the crowd loved the fight, so there's that, I guess. Don Ory's injury sparked some trade rumors around the Bruins. Uh, they, they weren't really strong in defense anyway, and they've always been look, looking for upgrades. Uh, the most prevalent speculation early in the week had Boston sending a young forward or two to the Vancouver Canucks for veteran defenseman Gary Doak. Doak very much like Ory. Maybe not quite as big as Don, but... Uh, not a uh, uh, skill player by any imagination, not a finesse guy, I guess I should say. Gary had serious skills, just not in the finesse department. And so they were looking at bringing him in from Vancouver. The Canucks really wanted uh, young right winger Reggie Leach, but Gary Doak wasn't going to get uh, that part of it done. Now, another rumor later in the week had the Bruins uh, involved in trade talks with the California Golden Seals. And actually, when I heard this, this one made way too much sense to actually be true. It had California sending their best player, defenseman Carl Vadney, to the Bruins in a straight up swap for Derek Sanderson. Now, Sanderson would be the biggest thing to hit California uh, in a good many years. He would have fit right in, but more in Los Angeles than in Northern California with the Seals. And Vadney would team up with Bobby Orr and others to give the Bruins an awesome defense and a sure shot at a Stanley Cup. But that one didn't happen, but it was a really strong rumor this week. Now, the reason for all this trade talk, of course... Uh, along with Ori's injury, is that the Bruins have been extremely mediocre so far this season. So much so that that's why all the trade talk was taking place. Well, the Bruins captain Johnny Busick was very candid when he talked to John Ahern of the Boston Globe about their indifferent play early this season. John said, we're uptight, we're way too uptight. We're pressing because we haven't been producing. Busick went on to say that things haven't gone the way that the team thought it would and that they should actually have gone. John said, we haven't been scoring as we know we can. And then you, you actually start to get worried. But he said, this actually goes a lot deeper, actually right back to training camp. John said the Bruins were too casual coming out of training camp. He thinks that it they all took the whole situation way too lightly. Johnny said, we thought it would be easier than it has been, and we never got clicking. We just never got going. Busick went on to say that then you lose a couple games you didn't really expect to lose. You don't get the goals you should be getting. And then you start to press. Johnny says, I don't mean one guy. I mean everybody. Everybody gets uptight and worried and you can't do anything right. And every club gives you trouble. Busick says that it shouldn't be that way, and he says it won't be once the club gets relaxed, and he thinks that the team is actually getting there now. Johnny says, I can see it, I can send it, these guys are getting relaxed, and then we'll be all right. An interesting quote from a Murray Williamson. If you don't know Murray, he is the coach of the United States Olympic team that will participate in the 1972 Olympics in Sapporo, Japan. Well, Murray this week told reporters that a Milwaukee World Hockey Association franchise had recently made an offer to him and the other uh, Team USA officials to keep the entire group intact after they compete at the 72 Olympics and then bring the whole group directly into the World Hockey Association as a unit. Unfortunately, it looks like that plan has been scuttled because Milwaukee declined to exercise their option last week on a WHA franchise. The reason being they can't get any ice time in the suitable, the only suitable arena that Milwaukee had, and they can't afford to build a new one themselves. Milwaukee was the very first city to put forth interest in the New World Hockey Association. And what a concept that would have been, bringing that uh, 72 
Olympic U.S. Olympic team intact into a professional sports league would have been interesting to see how they would compete if the new league, in fact, does get off the ground. Still with the WHA, insiders claim, yeah, they had hockey insiders 50 years ago. They were the same hockey insiders you have now, meaning they really weren't insiders. Well, these insiders claim that the Southern California franchise of the WHA, which is to be located in either Long Beach or Los Angeles Sports Arena, that location will be determined by the involvement of Sam Shulman. Now, who is Sam Shulman, you may ask? He was the owner of the Seattle Club of the National Basketball Association, and Sam carries a lot of weight around the West Coast sports scene, and it seems whatever Sam wants to happen will probably happen regarding the WHA franchise. And a little more WHA news as well. Bill Hunter, Wild Bill Hunter of the Edmonton Oil Kings Junior A team and the WHA franchise that is likely to have the same name, he says season ticket requests are pouring in and the demand for the WHA tickets in Edmonton is going to far exceed the supply that they're going to have. The Canadian press was reporting, as we said, that the new team would be known as the Oil Kings, but they're going to have to get a new arena within two years because the Edmonton Gardens just simply isn't big enough or uh, doesn't have enough amenities to support major pro sports. The last Toronto player to win the National Hockey League Scoring Championship weighed in on the New World Hockey Association this week. Again, Canadian Press gives us this story. Former National Hockey League scoring champion Gordy Drillen said that the New World Hockey Association will provide tremendous opportunities for players just below National Hockey League caliber. Gordy Drillen, who lives in St. John, New Brunswick, the last member of the Leafs to win a scoring championship said there are many borderline players and the WHA will give them an ideal opportunity to play professional hockey. Otherwise, he wasn't really too enthusiastic about the fledgling league. There aren't enough high caliber players now to meet the needs of NHL clubs and the WHA will not only be poor in caliber, but also, also it'll eventually weaken the NHL, Gordy says. He predicted it would take the WHA 20 years to reach an even footing with the NHL. And if WHA officials hope to recruit players from the NHL ranks, they had better have a lot of money because it's going to cost them plenty according to Drillin. Now, Gordy said he doesn't feel that fans in Calgary, Edmonton, and Winnipeg, the only three Canadian cities with WHA franchises, will see any better hockey with the WHA clubs than they're getting now at the junior level. The WHA, of course, is scheduled to open in June of 1972, and I'm sure Gordy Drillin will be a very interested observer. Finally, with the WHA for now, uh, the uh, teams are starting to look at putting executives in place to run these teams. So they're getting serious about it. And a fellow who would be famous in hockey in a few years uh, made a mention this week that he is pondering an offer to become the first general manager of the St. Paul World Hockey Association franchise. He is Jake Milford, who at this point in time was the general manager of the New York Rangers Central Hockey League Farm Club, the Omaha Knights. Milford said he'd been made a substantial offer by representatives from St. Paul, and he was at this point in time thinking it over. Reggie Fleming, who's been around the NHL for quite a while, one of the true tough guys in the league. Remember last week, he went missing from the American Hockey League Cincinnati Swords. No one seemed to know what was going on. This week, he resurfaced out in Salt Lake City with the Western Hockey League Golden Eagles. Reggie is property of the NHL Buffalo Sabres. Punch and Lack had sent him to Cincinnati to play under Joe Crozier with the Swords. Apparently... Reggie and Joe Crozier did not see eye to eye on a lot of things 
And the Sabre story was that the pair mutually agreed that Reggie's presence in Cincinnati was no longer required. Now, Fleming had some very pointed words directed at the Crow as he left town, calling Crozier nothing more than a career minor leaguer and a few other things that we really can't report to you right here. It's being reported that the improvement in play by the California Seals so far this year is directly as a result of the coaching of Vic Stasiuk, the former Flyers mentor who was dumped last at the end of last season and resurfaced in California this year. Vic explains what's going on in Philadelphia, although as usual with Vic Stasiuk, it was more about what was going on with Vic Stasiuk. A lot of first-person use in Vic Stasiuk's uh, statement in this one. Vic said, when I went to Philadelphia, they had good young goalies, Bernie Pratt and Doug Favell. We have good young goalkeepers here in Joe Malash and Lyle Carter. My defense here is more explosive, skates better, moves the puck better, and shoots better than the Flyers' defense I had last season. But it's very young and not as experienced or tough defensively as the Flyers. Stasia continues, up front in Philadelphia, I had a great one at center and Bobby Clark to go along with a lot of hard workers. Here, I have Bobby Sheehan, who already has 10 goals, and Jerry Pinder, Walt McKechnie, and a few others are here from other clubs. You could say that, like me, they are getting a second or third chance in the NHL and will work hard to make sure they don't blow it this time. We've got more speed, handle the puck better, and we will score more goals than the Flyers. But definitely, they have a lot to learn about positional play and taking the man out. And that's my job. Seals got a little more bad news this week. This is really not good for this club. Right winger Tom Webster, who was acquired earlier this season from the Detroit Red Wings in a, in a pretty significant trade where uh, they swapped uh, defenseman Ron Stackhouse to Detroit for Webster. Well, he was in an Oakland hospital this week in traction as doctors there at the Merritt Hospital were trying to determine what's wrong with his painful back. The word was, without a diagnosis officially being given, was that they were worried Tom was going to require season-ending surgery on the back, and that really would be a blow to Vic Stasiak's plans, not to mention the hopes of all the hockey fans out in uh, California, in the Bay Area. There are hockey fans out there in the Bay Area, aren't there? More than a few, I hope. One National Hockey League Western Division team that's not off to the greatest start this season is the Philadelphia Flyers under new coach Fred Shiro. Now, this is an interesting development with this, and I'm not sure exactly why it was going this way. The Philadelphia Press, who they would write negatively about the Santa Claus parade, if even if it was the best who ever was, uh, they can be unreasonably critical of, of the coaches and managers for sports teams in that city. Well, they so far have been very charitable towards Freddie Shiro, choosing to admonish the players rather than the coaching. Now, I think the reason they like Shiro, though I wasn't sure, was that Freddie is nothing if he's not a great quote. He loves the press, and the press seem to love him. And he feeds them a lot of stuff that is not the same old boring quotes that most National Hockey League coaches choose to furnish the press. That's why they like Punch Imlac so much in Toronto. Win or lose, Punch always had a great quote. Freddie Shiro is a very different individual and with his uh, unorthodox style of dealing with the press and with his players, uh, we have a feeling that he might just be able to survive his first season as a National Hockey League coach. Well, we have another uh, fighting article here, I guess you want to call it. We talked about nobody getting hurt in a brawl, you know, in fights in hockey. That just doesn't happen. Well, this time it was in the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A Series and a wild bench-bearing brawl between the 
Hamilton Red Wings at Montreal Junior Canadiens at the Barton Street Barn, the Hamilton Forum in Hamilton. And by the way, what an amazing building that place was. The ceilings were low. It seemed to me like there were cobwebs everywhere in the rafters. There were steel stanchions that obstructed the view. When we used to watch the games on CHCH TV Channel 11 on Thursday nights with Norm Marshall and Sandy Hoyt, you could see those posts there. I went to a few games there. I played a few games in the Hamilton Forum. My biggest fear in that building, by the way, was that someone would yell fire because you would never get the packed building emptied in time and hundreds would have died. Luckily, the old fire trap never did burn down. Well, in this game, Hamilton defeated the Montreal Junior Canadiens 11-6. The game ended in a free-for-all with both benches emptying. Referee Tom Smith, you may have heard of him. He actually had some uh, trials as a pro referee and he was worse there than he was in Junior A, which to say he was not very competent. He assessed a total of 394 minutes and penalties in this game, most of them in the dying minutes. The Red Wings received 10 minors, 5 majors, 17 misconducts, while the Baby Habs drew 10 minors, 3 majors, and 13 misconducts. The Donnybrook broke out at 1916 of the final period when Hamilton's George Beveridge and Montreal Scott McPhail battled at center ice. One second after the ensuing face-off, Bob Logan of, uh, or Bob Neely of, of Hamilton and Montreal's Dave Logan began to scrap. Logan suf- suffered a cut over his left eye, a slight concussion, and a separation of the left shoulder at the hands of Neely, a really big, really tough guy. He now could be action for, out of action for about a month. And by the way, Bob Neely's hands will be examined today for possible fractures. He seemed to injure the hand when it bounced several times off off Dave Logan's skull, but nobody gets hurt in hockey fights. The noted hockey genius Ned Harkness, general manager of the Detroit Dead Things of the National Hockey League, offered his opinion on the Montreal-Los Angeles trade that sent Rogachem Bashan to the Kings for a bunch of guys. Ned, as we all know by the play of the Detroit team, is the only man on the planet that knows the recipe for the secret sauce that completes a winning hockey club. Well, Harkness said this week that Sam Pollock and Larry Regan should both be locked up. Pollock for robbery and Regan for insanity. Ned Harkness on a trade that really helped the Los Angeles Kings. You ever wonder why, at least back in the 1970s, that university sports in Canada was not as prominent as it was? Well, witness the story of Steve Latinovich of York University. And Steve, by the way, and I were teammates on several hockey players throughout the years. Uh, He ended up being a uh, lawyer in Welland. I was a police officer with the Niagara Regional Police. And our paths crossed not only in hockey, but several other ways. I always uh, considered Steve a good friend. Well, Steve Latinovich decided four years before 1972 and he didn't have a future in pro hockey so he quit and for the past three seasons he'd been playing college hockey for the York Yeoman. Now a day before the beginning of his fourth season in university hockey he's suddenly been told he's not eligible to play. Amalgamation of Ontario's two major college hockey conferences last spring brought Latinovich under an eligibility rule that prohibits former professionals from playing for universities, but nobody told Steve or his coach, Bill Purcell, until last Wednesday. Now, Steve played part of a season with Dallas of the Central League, also played pro in Europe, before quitting and enrolling at Brock University in St. Catharines. He transferred to York three years ago. Until this season, York was a member of the Ontario Intercollegiate Athletic Association, which permitted the use of former pros who had been reinstated as amateurs. But last spring, the Ontario Intercollegiate Schools joined colleges from the Ontario-Quebec Athletic Association to form the new Ontario Universities Athletic Association known as the OUA. 
FAA. OQAA regulations apply to the new league, including one stating that any player who signs a professional contract can't play college hockey, even if he's reinstated as an amateur. What a dumb rule that was. The differences in eligibility rules weren't discovered by the association officials until Wednesday, and when York coach Bill Purcell told Latinovich, the third-year student first thought it was a joke. Nobody's laughing now, though. If Latinovich is made ineligible, you'll probably see our whole team walk out, including me, is what Coach Purcell said last week. After three years of college hockey, this boy would lose his $2,000 scholarship. He's got a wife and a child back in St. Catharines, and he needs the money. Stay tuned, and we'll see how this plays out. I'm not going to get into the uh, problems bothering hockey now. They're the same problems that bothered hockey before and were always covered up. But I'm going to tell you a story uh, from a uh, New Jersey sports writer, Mark Rusky, uh, about a player who believed he should have gotten a shot in the NHL and never did. Given how we've seen the NHL and hockey in general conduct itself over 50 years, this really shouldn't be such a surprising story. But we want to tell you about it anyway because it's about the, the guys we never hear a lot about. You hear their names a lot in the minor league summaries, and we'll talk you to uh, talk to you a little bit about about this one. Uh, we're talking uh, about Ed Stankiewicz, and it's hard to believe the little coach these days in 1971 of the Long Island Ducks of the Eastern League was once branded as a troublemaker. Uh, Ed's a soft-spoken guy. He, he says to Mark Rusky that he really believes that he was blacklisted from the NHL. He had a starry minor league career in the 50s and early 60s, but he played just six games in in the major league NHL. Stankiewicz blames Jack Adams, the late general manager of the Detroit Red Wings, for keeping him trapped in the minors. Ed says it happened in the mid-1950s, uh, the native of Kitchener, Ontario says, Adams offered me a contract for $5,800, even though the NHL's minimum salary at the time was 6500 All I wanted was a minimum salary, and I knew I was right, and he was wrong. So I refused, and I told Adams why, and he told everyone around the league that I was a troublemaker, and I was sent back to Edmonton, which was a Detroit farm team in the Western Hockey League. Stankiewicz, who played one game with the Wings in 1953-54 and five in 55-56, never again made it back to the NHL. He finished his career with stops in St. Louis, Seattle, Hershey, Spokane, Sudbury, Los Angeles in the Western Hockey League, and finally Long Island, where he's coach of the Eastern League Ducks. Hampered by a pair of bad knees, the five foot nine, one seventy five pound right wing figures he and his younger brother Myron, the Brat Stankiewicz, hold at least one pro hockey record. He says we've had more knee operations than any other hockey family. I've had four. Myron will have had six when he undergoes two more operations to take out the steel plates in each of his knees. He's having them removed because with them he's walking around like Herman Munster. Highlights of Ed's career were 27 and 33 goal seasons at Edmonton in the WHL and a 31 goal years at Sherbrooke in the Quebec Hockey League and Sudbury in the Old Eastern Professional Hockey League. Ed closed out his career five years ago scoring 48 goals as he led the Ducks to their last Eastern Hockey League title and he says that was a nice way to go out. NFL fans hungry for a big win this week? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Football League, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, it's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings has given all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes for their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THP. 
THPN, that's THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network, bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only need a minimum $5 deposit and a $1 wager is required. One per customer and restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for all the details. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Well, the biggest story that emerged this week, of course, was the National Hockey League formally announcing that it was going to expand by two teams for the 1972-73 season, and those uh, new franchises would be located in Long Island, New York, and Atlanta, Georgia. Now, we've got a lot of coverage of this, and we're going to get into this uh, quite a bit in depth. Usually, this is something I would do in in an overtime session, but I thought that this story was uh, important enough that we should put it in our our, uh, free free weekly shows uh, available to everyone. We'll start off with a story from Gerald Eskenazi of the New York Times. After two days of long, intense meetings, the National Hockey League granted franchises to a second New York area team and Atlanta, Georgia. The new clubs, which will pay $6 million entry fees to join a league that plays to 94% of capacity, will be admitted next season. By the way, that $6 million entry fee, that's the same as Buffalo and Vancouver paid to join in 1970. So no inflation there, I guess. In addition, the league said it would add two more franchises for the 1974-75 campaign, bringing the total number of teams in the league to 18. The Nassau Coliseum in Hempstead, Long Island, a $22 million arena expected to be ready in uh, about three months from now, will be the site of the New York entrant. But Roy Bowe, that's B-O-E, who applied for the franchise, hasn't been granted it yet. While the league has awarded franchises to two areas, it hasn't granted them to specific owners as of the time of this report. Bo and several business associates are negotiating with the New York Rangers who play out of Madison Square Garden. They own the territorial rights to the NHL for a 50-mile radius from Madison Square Garden. Bo and the Rangers haven't agreed on how a $5 million indemnification fee the Rangers are demanding will end up being paid. The Atlanta team will play in the Atlanta Coliseum expected to be finished by next October. The Coliseum owner is Tom Cousins. He applied for a franchise for his building. Cousins, however, would rather not run a hockey team and is looking for interested bidders. With New York and Long Island, the NHL will have two teams in the same area for the first time since 1942 when the Brooklyn Americans who were before that the New York Americans, that's when they dropped out of the NHL. The next problem the league will face after lawsuits is if the difficult area of scheduling can be accomplished. The new clubs will swell the league, which had only six teams, from 42 to 1967 to 16. Clarence Campbell, the NHL's president, said the next season there would be either two 18 divisions or four divisions of four teams apiece. In either case, the 78-game schedule is expected to be retained. Charles O. Finley, the embattled owner of the California Golden Seals, would be unhappy with any scheduling that brought in the newer clubs for considerably more appearances than the established teams, which draw better, which is to say they draw about 15 flies instead of the usual five. In any realignment, a unanimous vote would be needed, and Finley is expected to stick with his contention that his franchise can be saved only by having clubs such as the Boston Bruins, Montreal Canadiens, and Rangers making frequent appearances. But of course, the fans in those cities are not going to be happy having more frequent appearances of the hapless California 
seals. Although the league had been saying for a year that a unanimous vote was was needed to expand, the owners, many of them lawyers, suddenly didn't about face on Monday and made the rules up as they went along. They said only a three-quarter vote was needed. One owner said, well, we got Charlie Finley out of our hair. Finley, you know, was adamant that he was going to vote against expansion, figuring he had the power, something like a filibuster, I guess. I don't know. In its announcement, the league said that Finley had not informally or formally applied to move the seals, but Campbell did say that Finley, who comes from a baseball milieu, had asked the league to consider sharing gate receipts with visiting clubs. That is the practice that happens in baseball. Okay, so here's a kicker that really, really comes comes along. Upon learning that the NHL's expansion plans were now complete and going into Long Island, the president of the New York entrant into the World Hockey Association, lawyer Neil Shane of New York, said Madison Square Garden's tentacles will now reach out and envelop the Nassau County and the Nassau Coliseum will become its branch office. Shane said he would continue to press his lawsuit against the county and would request the United States Attorney General's office to take action against the NHL under the Sherman Antitrust Act. Some observers saw the new NHL expansion as a move to freeze out the WHA by moving into Atlanta. The NHL will have a team in the South for the first time in its history, and by moving into Long Island, it effectively overshadows any new WHA team that might want to locate in that area. If it has that effect, that's fine, said Clarence Campbell. He insisted it was good business to expand now. Campbell acknowledged that a further dilution of talent was inevitable but he said it would bring the league closer to parity actually a lot closer to mediocrity would be more accurate parity and quality are not the same Campbell says Long Island and Atlanta teams will get their players from the present 14 teams in a draft next June each of the new clubs will require 19 players plus two goalkeepers neither new club will share in the expansion revenue from the teams that will be added in 1974 the two new teams that year will also pay a six million dollar entrance fee now, when I heard about this, I, I was following uh, very closely how this was going to go. I didn't think they were going to get the vote through because of Charles Finley. I figured what would happen is that he would hold out, uh, forcing them to allow him to move his team somewhere where hockey actually meant something to the sports fans in the area. And they got around it. Now, how did they do that? Well, Tim Moriarty of Newsday uh, gives us a story of how the NHL just decided to change the rules on the fly because they felt like that was the best, most uh, expeditious thing for them to do at the time. Tim writes, The shouts coming from room 821 in the Howard Johnson Motel on the north side of the Belt Parkway were drowned out by a jet landing at Kennedy Airport. However, it was obvious that the man doing all the yelling was most unhappy. Maybe Charles O. Finley had a right to be angry. He had just walked away from a meeting of fellow club owners in the NHL. They had gathered at the motel to discuss applications for two new franchises, one from Atlanta and the other from a Long Island group headed by Roy Bow. Finley, the owner of the California Golden Seals, had gone into the meeting thinking that a unanimous vote of the 14 current owners would be necessary for admission of the new teams. But Atlanta and Long Island will need only 12 yes votes to join the NHL when the ballot was to take place at the time of this uh, at this writing, which would be today as Tim writes it. That explains why Charlie Finley was shouting from behind closed doors of room 821. He had the feeling that his fellow owners had dealt from the bottom of the deck. NHL owners doing something a little shady? Jeez, what a radical thought. <laughs> 
You see, Charlie Finley is not dead set against expansion of the NHL, even if it's being considered two years ahead of the league's previous timetable because of the emergence of the World Hockey Association as a rival. Finley is simply fearful that expansion will cost him more players in a draft the NHL will have to conduct to uh, stock the new teams. Before going into yesterday's meeting, Finley said, I'm not going to vote for anything that will further weaken my team. Yet he will hire, of course, a general manager who would end up further weakening his team by making teams or trades uh, for which he hadn't done his due diligence. Finley reportedly lost $500,000 during his first season as owner of the Seals last year. The Seals have drawn crowds as small as 2,100 in the 1971-72 season, although 10,000 did show up to watch them play the Rangers last week. And, of course, they saw their team lose to the Rangers 8-1 in just an awful, awful performance. They ain't selling the game that way. Finley had calmed down considerably when the owners erupted their meeting, interrupted their meeting last night for dinner, but he couldn't hide his bitterness over the change in the voting procedure. I don't understand these rules, he said with a shrug of his shoulders. Who would understand anything the NHL does, Charlie? You're supposed to be a member of the lodge of owners but you're really an outsider you know who runs the thing the Wurtzes, the uh folks who own madison square garden the uh maple leafs owners the canadians those are the guys that run the nhl you ought to know that well how did the world hockey association react to this news from the nhl red foley of the new york daily news had a story on that that cold war between the established nhl and the fledgling world hockey association began melting into a hot conflict when the nhl voted to expand in 1972, the NHL's action, obviously prompted by the WHA's recent announcement that it would launch a 10-club 76-game operation next October, provoked a negative response from Neil Shane, the Mineola New York attorney who will operate the uh, WHA's New York franchise. Shane, who last week filed against Nassau County, contending he's being shut out of the brand new Coliseum that will house the NHL club, announced he's talking immediate court action. I intend, says Shane, to vigorously pursue whatever remedies are available to me. Shane says in light of this announcement, he felt the government intervention is definitely warranted. He will request the Attorney General's office to take appropriate action under the Sherman and Clayton Antitrust Acts. According to National Hockey League President Clarence S. Campbell, neither the Long Island nor Atlanta franchises have been granted to any individual or corporation as of yet. Both are open to any bidders. As far as a local franchise is concerned, Campbell said Nassau County Executive Ralph Caso agreed the Long Island Club could become an entity if its operators put together a package that meet with the approval of both the National Hockey League and the county commission which operates the 15,000-seat Coliseum. Roy Bow owner of the American Basketball Association Nets supposedly has the inside track in regard to the Long Island franchise which along with the one in Atlanta will cost the taker six million dollars. Shane whose bid the NHL would entertain if one is forthcoming previously said he thought the NHL franchise is way overpriced especially when you're only paying a million or two in the WHA, but you get what you pay for. Don't forget that, Mr. Shane. One of the other questions, a couple questions actually came to my mind as the expansion took place. Uh, Number one was the very interesting fact that they said they're going to expand by two more teams in the next two years. What would the next two cities be that would come in? Do you know what was very interesting about this announcement and all the reporting that took place? Nobody was speculating on where the next two teams would be. I had heard of only one city that was really uh, after an NHL franchise, and that was Kansas City. Uh, But in their uh, newspapers, it was being reported at this time. They were still fighting about a location 
of the of the arena where it would be downtown or in an area named the stockyards and they didn't even know what the new arena would look like yet but they were counting on an nhl franchise uh, there were other teams that were looking at the nhl seattle uh the owner of the basketball team apparently was interested in, in getting a team in the Pacific Northwest. Milwaukee, Wisconsin had made noise about getting an NHL team. And I th- I found that, that I thought that would be a really, really neat place for, for a hockey club. And of course, it was always, you know, the uh, other teams around the New York now had their second team. They would talk about putting another team in Canada. Stan Fisher wrote a story in the Toronto Star that basically said the NHL has no interest in Canada. Of course, neither does he. But uh, that probably was true at the time. They had the three Canadian teams. They didn't figure that the rinks were big enough in Winnipeg, Edmonton, or Calgary. And they were right. But those cities were all looking at enhancements to their rinks. Hamilton was making noise about putting a team and they were making noise about the WHA as well and we will be talking a lot about that Hamilton team in our overtime sessions that are going to take a deep look at what the NH or the WHA was doing to get itself going and that's going to be coming up very shortly for the Patreon subscribers. Another question that was really intriguing to me really I was wondering about was how the NHL was going to realign if realignment was to take place at all would they go with two 18 divisions which was basically what major league baseball did before their expansion in the early 1960s eight teams in the american league eight teams in the national league but they were two separate leagues would the nhl do this with you know a two 18 divisions or would they go towards four Four-team division, something that I really kind of like the idea of. But, of course, I figured the NHL would do something to mess up what would be probably a really nice, interesting alignment. And we'd see how that would go. Probably two conferences with uh, two divisions in each conference. Or maybe just four conferences. Who the heck knew? No one knew. There was all kinds of speculation. They weren't saying anything at this time now there is something as as we finish this off this week that i'm going to read to you uh it's a column by uh, the great vancouver sports writer jim taylor now jim writes this as a press conference by a future national hockey league president com commenting on a future national hockey league expansion now as you listen to this Try and imagine these words that I'm giving to you, not in my voice, but that of present-day Gary Bettman. Jim Taylor, I think, nailed Gary Bettman's style here. I wish I could get his voice right. We take you now to the National Hockey League's Expansion Committee meeting on September 10th, 1980, where President of the NHL is about to deliver the keynote address to the press. During his speech, the President is passed around the table from one governor's knee to the other. Their lips barely move as he speaks. Gentlemen, we are gathered here to fulfill a prophecy, say a commitment made to the North American hockey public in 1971. In a moment, it will give me great pleasure to award our six new franchises to Yorkton, Kirk Turkey Neck Bend, Dap Alberta, Barkerville, Inuvik, and St. Petersburg. But I would first like to review our progress since that historic day and put down certain rumors maliciously spread by uncontrolled members of the media. To begin with, there is nothing wrong with the new NHL crest. Personally, I thought the simple skull and crossbones would suffice, but that was purely my opinion. At second glance, I think the eye patch suits me. Secondly, I categorically deny that we have failed to meet our obligations to provide players capable of bringing expansion clubs to parity in this millennium and wish to refute here and now charges that further expansion at this time will water down the product. They said the same thing when we brought Vancouver and Buffalo and we found players for them. 
Two or three each, as a matter of fact. They said it again when we admitted to Atlanta and Long Island to the league, and we met the problem squarely. Many branded us rash for eliminating Junior A and jumping players straight from juvenile to the big leagues. But didn't we keep them all and send our older players to the new cities so they'd have experience? Right from the start, as for our move to stock the 74-75 franchises in Carrot River and Blaine, well, they can say what they like, but I'll always defend the kindergarten draft. We merely carried the bonus baby system to its logical extreme, and it did make for a catchy slogan for the NHL Hockey Week in Canada. Take, don't send your boy to the NHL. Now about skating, we've all heard the knockers who claim players should know how to skate before they get to the NHL. Well, I think that's nonsense. They are striking at one of the very cornerstones of the North American labor movement on the job training. No, gentlemen, I say there will be NHL caliber hockey in these new cities from the opening whistle. Why? Because it's our league and we'll say it's NHL hockey. Who has a better right to say that anyway? Though are those who cry that we are rushing into this expansion and I must say I fail to see how. Every city has met the rigid qualifications demanded by our board. They have the money and may I remind those gossip mongers that the season doesn't even open till Friday but they will not listen. Men of vision have ever been castigated by those of shorter sight. So I will prove to them here and now that we intend to protect both our new members and their fans by establishing a franchise in St. Petersburg, we have taken what I humbly suggest is a dramatic step forward in player relations. By St. Petersburg, the fun capital for the aged, that oasis for silver threads, it will be stocked with elderly players only. You see the advantages instant fan identification a chance for players of advancing years to finish out their careers mid sud sand and shuffleboard we're also sending them at no additional cost a hall of fame coach as soon as we pack the urn mind you there were a few rocky spots in St. Pete. They couldn't pony up the $12 million until we agreed to accept garnishes on their Social Security checks. And since residents tend to be, shall we say, short-term season tickets, they were a problem. But we let them in, and you know why? Because we care. In closing, a word about playoffs. This year, everybody's in. That way, no new franchises will be deprived of a shot at the Stanley Cup. And for the first time in history, all proceeds will go directly to the pension fund. Our pension fund. And now, gentlemen, until we meet in May to discuss franchise applications from Fort Francis, Death Valley, and Ellis Island, a move to adjourn the session is in order. Interesting, he wanted to have all the teams make the playoffs so the expansion teams could immediately compete for the Stanley Cup. That'll never happen, will it? So that's this week's show, everyone. And what did we learn this time around? Well, we learned that maybe players do get injured in those harmless hockey fights put on for the benefit of the more brainless of hockey fans. We learned of a career minor league hockey player and how he was kept from having a decent shot at an NHL career just because he wouldn't go along with a basically a legal scheme of an NHL general manager. And of course, we learned that the NHL had expanded once again. Now, here's some stories we're working on for next week's show. There will be more trade rumors surrounding the Bruins, who are starting, however, to show signs of returning to their old dominant selves. The Rangers would be busy trading this week. They hook up with the Canucks for a significant deal that turned into sort of a three-way swap. That was followed by a four-player blockbuster, or a seven-player, sorry, four-for-three player blockbuster trade between New York and St. Louis in which some very highly regarded young players were swapping clubs and there will be more in World Hockey Association headlines and by the way if you want all the WHA developments in greater detail 
And you really need that to fully understand the, this league's story. We'll have a huge WHA overtime session this week to update everything. And you can go to patreon.com slash hockey 50 years to get access. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole. We can't thank him enough for all his hard work. Andy can produce your podcast. If you want to put one together, contact me. I'll hook you guys up. He's a true media media professional. The very popular Juno-nominated Toronto Indie Rock Group, Rural Alberta Advantage, provides our introduction music. If you ever get a chance to see them play live, don't miss the opportunity. It's a great high-energy show. Other musical pieces and sound effects are crafted by Andy Cole as well. Research comes from the files of the Toronto Star, the Toronto Global Mail, and of course the many fine publications found at our sponsor, newspapers.com. You can find us every week here on the Hockey Network, every day on Twitter at, at Hockey50Years. We have a Facebook page 50 years ago on hockey, a WordPress site, hockey50yearsago.com, and of course you can get us through your favorite podcast app as well. Thanks again for listening, everyone. This 1971-72 season is really shaping up to be something special. We'll be with you all the way, and we do hope you'll join us. On that note, we'll see you next time. When the ice